You're listening to the Screw Podcast with Felicia Rose and A Love. They're here to make you come on a journey with them as they indulge you in all their naughtiest thoughts while navigating sex with nonchalance and a whole lot of Crisco, of course. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Screw with Felicia Rose and A Love. What's up? You have tuned into a Pride Edition Volume 2. We've officially renamed this like 15 different times, but essentially (laughs) we want to elevate our queer friends' voices by giving them a platform to speak on. And we're asking them to essentially answer a series of questions that we thought would be interesting, fun, good, bad, sad, who knows. And um, all of them essentially telling their stories of being queer in 2019. And so. let me tell you, these stories this week, oh, I mean, last week was amazing as well. There's no comparison. Everybody's stories are all the individual wonderful stories. But wow, there was some laughs while I was editing this shit. So. Yeah, I mean, some people take a more serious tone with these. Some people are a little bit goofier. It's mm. always just about the person. And we ask people to just be very honest in themselves. So Fuck. I love that we we have a Fuck great that. mix of different personalities, different, way different stories this time, you know. I digress. I'm very excited to have all of these wonderful <laughs> humans on today. So first up, we have Lauren. Second, we have Darnell. Third, we have Adam. Yeah. I didn't give their full names, though. Well, we, I mean, I don't think everybody used their full name. I mean, it's all good. You'll hear it. They'll hear it. They'll hear it in the intro. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all three very entertaining I don't know why entertaining is a tough word. Sexy. There well, were very sexy voices going on. Entertaining is bad when we're talking about like the sad stuff, but there are also entertaining things intertwined with, you know, some serious stuff too. So it's really good to I think it's a really cool insight into all three of these people's worlds and I hope you guys st- stick around to listen. Hell yeah. Hi love. Somebody showed me how to use technology. So um we're gonna get into your questions, I guess. All right. So, number one, introduce yourself and what have you. My name is Lauren. I am 31 years old. I go by she, her, they, them pronouns. So, my sexuality, I would say, is um, gay or queer. I don't really have an answer for that. Um, my gender i generally say that i am gender non-conforming femme i'm a systems engineer or more specifically a network engineer i do it um what defines me i'm black as fuck hello uh my name is darnell mitchell Uh, I live here in New York City. Um, I am 33. I am a fashion stylist or a personal shopper, uh, which means I dress people for a living. I also like to do homeware. I kind of do everything for my clients. Uh, I have a a list of clients that I help all throughout the city, all throughout the country, actually, um, which is pretty cool. I've been doing it for about 10 years now. I have a degree in fashion merchandising and advertising. Uh, I also work, do some side work for a couple of different companies uh, in professional wrestling. 
Um, nothing too overt. Uh, I did the podcast for Capital Wrestling uh, and helped put a little bit around there. I'm starting to potentially work for a company called Battle Club Pro, which is an amazing company. Um, I do a lot of work for a company called Uncanny Attractions, which is a queer wrestling show uh, that is based out of the House of Yes. Um, I am the head production assistant, and I am the social media manager. So the next question that we asked everybody is to tell us a bit about their coming out story. Ooh, and, um, you know, some people have some really serious ones, and some are not so serious. Some are just, you know, pretty all-around accepting and or wonderful. Funny. Or funny. So um, I, I hope you guys enjoy these stories as much as I did. It's very... Uh, vulnerable but also very interesting at the same time all right hopping back into this so the second question is my coming out story um i was probably 19 or 20 i think when i officially came out to my parents i don't know that um i'm not certain if i came out to my sister um Prior to that, I'd imagine I had because I had been dating women for some time at that point. Um, so I was probably, yeah, 19 or 20 when I had the conversation with my mother. And I remember we were driving um, in the we were in the car and we were on the highway. And, um, you know, I was super nervous and I was just like, hey. I'm a gay and she was like um you know I just had this conversation with your father last week and I said oh did you and she was like yeah and I said well you know what was said what what did he say and she was like you know I just I just said you know I I think Lauren dates girls and my dad was like, well, why do you think that? And she was just like, mother's intuition. And my dad was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so shout out to my dad. Um, my sister uh, had a similar reaction where um, I told her, um, and it wasn't really a big deal. It was just like, oh, okay, that's a thing that you do. As long as these people are, you know, being kind and you know they're not being gross to you then I'm about it especially if that's something that you know is is ensuring your happiness um and and helping you be a whole person that she was all about it and I really appreciate that um for my sister that was a really big deal for me just not so much that she didn't care but that it wasn't a big deal. Now, the way that I explained um, my mother, my mother's response to it, it, it seems as though she didn't care. Um, that was kind of uh, the idea that I got from her, that she didn't care, which was a falsehood. <laughs> um, I later found out after that conversation that um, she told me that if I were to marry a woman, <clears throat> that she would not come to my wedding. 
um, that she did not want to be a part of it. Um, she didn't want to have anything to do with it, which is wild to me because when my sister got married, it was an incredibly big deal. Um, so that kind of hurt. Uh, and then, you know, she brought up all of these things about my being a Christian, which I am no longer a Christian, but she brought up all of these things about my being a Christian at the time. And, um, asking me questions about how I could possibly identify as a Christian um, and also be gay and trying to understand the duality of that. I didn't have anything for her with regards to how to explain that. Um, that's not my ministry. Um, but what was something that was important to me was to let her know that no matter how she felt about, you know, who I was as a person or what I was doing or how I was um, maintaining my own happiness, that it mattered nothing to me whether she approved of it or not. And, um, if that meant that we just weren't going to have a relationship, then that's what that meant. But what it has shaken out to be is that I just don't talk about that part of my life when I have conversations with her. And I think that that's sad, um, mostly because, you know, when you have relationships with your mother as a, as a, as a woman, um, having a relationship with your mother is, is really important as that is, you know, usually the the first person that you have and I that gives you an idea of the woman that you're supposed to be or not supposed to be in some cases um and my mom was all of those things for me she was my superhero so to hear all of those things and um to feel all of those feelings and then to then have to deal with the fact that you know we're not going to have a relationship it it was kind of, it was really difficult for me. And I think that not having a relationship with my mother by her own choice, because of how I pursue my happiness, um, is really sad. That was question number two. <laughs> and if I knew how to use this machine, I would have stopped the recording already. Boom. There you go. Two. My coming out story. I... This is two, obviously. My coming out story. I was 14 when I came out. Uh, it wasn't the best. It was one of those situations where, like, I told a friend to tell another person who I liked uh, and ask him if he was gay, but not to say it was me. Uh, of course, it was uh, deduced that it was me. Uh, the gentleman came up to me in lunch and uh you know said hey you know i'm not gay i was like all right cool whatever just kind of like trying to kind of ease the situation and then his friends proceeded uh, his friends were assholes uh and then proceeded to tell literally go from table to table to table in the lunchroom and tell everyone that i was um gay uh which obviously as a 14 year old kid was not what I wanted. Uh, that's not how I wanted that to happen. So because of that, I 
kind of had a breakdown in school and I had to go see the school psychologist. Um, my dad picked me up and I had to, I, I did not live with my dad. I lived with my mom and my stepfather. Um, I had to come out to my dad since he picked up and he took it a lot better than I realized. My mom was a little bit worse about it. Um, my dad was very, uh, comforting. And looking back on it, I realized uh, one of the reasons why uh, is uh, my brother was kicked out of our house when he was, when I was maybe like 12 or something. So he was like 16 and he lived his later years uh, in life um, with my father. Uh, and my brother is actually also gay. So I, I think my brother had came out to my father already. So he was a little bit uh, more comfortable. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, he took it really, really well uh, for the most part. Um, my mom would just kind of make references to, well, you know, one day maybe you'll meet a nice woman. And I'm just like, no, mom, I'm pretty sure one day I won't. Uh, but I guess you can keep hoping for that, uh, and so, yeah, um, that's just the way it is, uh, it was an interesting thing, it was, it was, it was frustrating, because it was just kind of like, you know, I didn't get to own my own sexuality, but at the same time, it was kind of interesting, the reaction afterwards, uh, not to be, not to generalize anything, or, or to make a stereotype, I was like popular enough in high school because, you know, there was only four high schools. There was like four middle schools. So like if you knew someone, you knew someone. If you went to middle school together, you more than likely went to high school together. Um, So most of these people had known me for years and they were really comfortable with me. So it wasn't a big deal. You know, there were other there were open gay people in the. school, but they kind of really disregarded me, because I was, like, kind of popular, I was, like, kind of good in school, um, and I, like, was a nerdy punk, pop, rock, black kid, so they were just like, oh, yeah, he just hangs out with the crazy white people, he's all right, he's fine, uh, so, after a couple of days, people really didn't seem to care, uh, and it's interesting, because the two gentlemen who outed me, like, tried to hound me for the next couple of days, and everyone just kind of rallied around me, and they were just like, leave him the fuck alone. Like, what are we doing here? Um, So it was kind of cool to see kids, like, band together. Um, Because, yeah, you know, 14 years old, I'm from the South. I'm from North Virginia, and uh, not the easiest. So uh, I was pleasantly surprised, which is great. Question two, the old coming out story. So, uh, I always had an inkling that I was queer, like, way before I knew any of the terminology from a super early age. I think it was, like, eight or nine. Uh, That was when I first saw Fiona Apple's criminal video, and that, like, rang my little bell. And the hormones were like, yo, this is pretty cool, isn't it? And then, uh, two years later, my friend showed me the Degeneration X VHS tape, the, like, compilation stuff. You got Shawn Michaels coming out with, uh, with the little, the little shorts. He had that fucking attire, the, the white t-shirt, 
uh, with like the very short sleeves, almost custom short to really get that bicep out, and the little black uh, like athletic shorts. His thighs are just bulging out, and just mm, mwah, chef's kiss. I want it. Ring that bell. Ring it all night long. Uh, this is also around the time that I uh, constantly listen to just pure disco hits one, pure disco hits two, the Spice Girls Spice World. It was, I was hitting a lot of stereotypes real quick, but I just legit thought that that's how it was for human beings. You start out a little into a little bit of everyone at first, and then you just sort of sort out what you like the most through experience, and you go with that the rest of your life. Uh, and I was always a little femme twink type boy, so I got on real well with women, and I was already smooching in, like, kindergarten. Like I said, raised Catholic, some stereotypes are legit. And since once puberty had set off in mass, uh, all the dudes started picking on me, calling me a fag, but... I mean, props for clocking me so early, but at the same time, they were blocking me off from experimenting with that side of myself, because I was just like, ooh, I d don't enjoy this attention, this sucks, please leave me alone, I'm not even fucking yet, stop it. Okay, that, and also my first real glimpse, uh, a glimpse of sexualized penis came from a bunch of Ron Jeremy videos that I found in my dad's sock drawer searching for Christmas presents one year. This, this is probably just my opinion. I'm not trying to speak for everyone, but I don't think anyone's first rock-hard dongler that they see should be attached to a man called the Hedgehog. That's my take. Sorry, Ron. You're a legend, but I disagree. Uh, but so, like, I kind of repress all of this because of the social reaction. I'm just like, whatever, uh, I'll just deal with this on my own and move along. Uh, time passes. A bunch of my childhood and high school friends come out to me because I'm safe. Once again, clocked. Uh, I think about what their dicks are like and if they're good kissers. Whoops. I turn uh, legit emo about it and become a full-fledged MySpace scene kid. We're talking flat iron bangs, all black, tight clothes with the skinny girl's jeans, uh, two white studded belts from Hot Topic that are both in only one belt loop because aesthetics, accidentally doing bandana code, the whole fucking trope. Real shame that I was still repressing that I wanted to kiss boys because that was a hotbed of faux-sensitive femme-bicurious twinks that I could have been smooching on for years. But fast forward to 19, I'm dating a cool metalcore type girl with a big chest piece tattoo. She takes me to my first midnight showing of Rocky Horror. And as part of the whole you're a virgin at Rocky bit, her friend Paul, another one of those femi scenester twink types, just hops on my lap and makes out with me. And let me tell you, I fucking loved it. Fast forward to a couple months later, I go back to college, I go to one of the first like house parties of the year, I drink an entire water bottle full of Skull Vodka, um, probably in the better part of like two hours. Uh, and I go home with a twink. 
and all of my friends were there, so that is how I came out to them. Uh, they were uh, surprised, which, I mean, you've gotten used to the sound of my voice at this point. They shouldn't have been. But uh, <laughs> they tried to sit me down the morning after I came back from dude's dorm uh, and make me watch lesbian porn to remember what being straight is like because... <laughs> oh, straights. Uh, <laughs> I, I eventually just tell them, yo, I'm still into girls, I'm bi. They chill. Uh, there's some more, like, trauma parts with people having shitty opinions. Dudes who super aren't super great at consent. We don't need to get into that shit. Uh, that story's out far too much for the queer experience. I spent the next year making uh, a lot of good, supportive friends that accept me after I go through a depressive spell that ends in me taking mushrooms and hallucinating that my friend's cat is actually Hobbs, the tiger from Calvin and Hobbs, and he basically gives me, like, a therapy crash course and tells me to just fucking love myself and who I am and don't fuck with anyone who wants to be shitty about it. And so I just experiment more. I find, like, cute, sensitive dudes. After an acid call, I booty called a cute dude that I made out with at a house party. And, like, on that come down, we made out and did some, like, mouth and hand stuff. And he was super, like, soft and caring. And I was like, oh, this actually can be extremely good. Uh, I eventually moved back to Chicago, confident in who I am. And just, like, unashamed and out and start building that classic, this is my queer family. Um, I did, like, come out to my mom at one point to be like, hey, I'm bisexual and non-binary. And her only response was, I love you and I want you to be happy. So have fun, be safe, and don't get anyone pregnant. I've never actually had, like, the talk with my dad. And I mean that about all sex. Uh, he's just not much of a talker, but he's seen my wrestling and he's seen my stand-up. All of it's aggressively and explicitly gay and slutty. Uh, so if he's in denial about it, like, whatever, dude. I don't know. I don't actually owe you shit. Uh, I ain't trying to get married. Anyways, I think personally that, like, the bi coming out is less your DNA family needs to know and more of, like, my created family needs to know. And when I fucking uh, psychedelic burned my old self and sashayed out of the ashes, I created that family. And I was already queer when I came to them, so it just was. And maybe that's like a queer slut privilege that I have. And I might have to check someday if an old rich dude wants to make an honest Anna Nicole Smith out of your girl. So another question that we had asked some people was, um, what did they think the biggest issues are in, uh, for the queer community? And um, I, I have to say, even on last week, like I really like found some of the answers to these like really great and educational. So I'm definitely looking forward to these this week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a definitely eye-opening because I think a lot of times we... You know, we stay in our communities that we're comfortable in, and especially when we're a marginalized community, 
you stay within that comfort zone a lot of the time. Not always, but a lot of the time. So you don't always necessarily know what's going on in maybe like your next door neighbor queer community, right? right? You might know you might know what's going on in say Jackson Heights in Queens, but you don't know what's hitting Manhattan, for example. And that's True. those are really close places, but it's I understand why there's that sense of kind of sting. So this is a good way for everybody to kind of tell people about their local and or whatever they're interested in as far as um issues and concerns and just problems in general but also things that could potentially be solved exactly i talk so much here they come no you don't okay so question number three is really a doozy for me (laughs) this is my third recording because i keep getting flustered this is a really big deal to me this is a really big topic um and it's hard it's a hard thing to answer right so the question is what are some of the biggest issues you see in the lgbtq and folks dealing with in 2019 within my local community and what are some of the steps that i've taken to help these issues so being a queer person of color in the south it's really difficult for me to separate my experience as a person of color from my experience as a person of color who is also queer identifying right so but that makes sense as intersectionality is a thing and so with that being said it is incredibly important to me that we support all of the different initiatives that create spaces for people of color who are also queer. A lot of times when I go to Pride, I don't feel like I'm included. A lot of gay events, I don't feel like I'm included. Because let's face it, I'm not. I'm not their target audience. And that's a real statement. Um, So what I see um, as a important thing um, within our local community here is dealing with inclusion. And I mean, that's not just specific to Charlotte, North Carolina. That is specific to the gay community, period. The understanding of inclusion and the understanding that we're not all white men and i mean clearly that is a a larger issue um that isn't just specific to the gay community or the queer community um that's that's an issue all over the place (laughs) so um it translates outside of heteronormativity and it and it exists in 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 this space as well so inclusion is incredibly important as you know i am not a white man excuse me so here and in a lot of other places where people feel marginalized and when i say people i'm talking about my people my folks black people In these spaces where we feel marginalized, we create spaces for ourselves. 
where we are not included so much in regular pride events, we create our own pride events. And so here's the takeaway. Um, black people um, and other persons of color who identify as queer um, do not feel afraid to create your own spaces where you do feel included um, because that's essentially what it's come to, right? It's come to we don't feel comfortable in these spaces otherwise. So we need to create our own spaces and take up our own space to let others know that we exist here. Similarly, the takeaway for people who are not people of color, um, allow the people of color to dictate their comfort level and allow the people of color to have their own space and to feel free being in that space and experiencing themselves where whiteness is not included. And that might be difficult for you. Um, but it's necessary. And it's necessary because we exist. Oh, and shout out to Sweet Heat because they know what they're doing. Number three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a hard question because you know I don't really see that many issues in my local community um just because you know I live in New York City so and I live in Manhattan uh which I think is even more important there was a small time in my life where I lived in Brooklyn And that was very difficult because I lived in Bay Ridge and they were very homophobic and very racist on there. Uh, Like, took me by surprise. I, I think what I do to potentially uh, help the community is I have a lot of friends who are um, foreign uh, when I say that, I mean basically Irish. So I do go to a lot of Irish pubs. My best friend is Irish and uh, like legit Irish. And there is a lot of uh, unknowing homophobia in that community. Uh, so I kind of try to take them out to certain things and correct certain language and, and, and kind of show them, hey, you know, this is not acceptable. These are microaggressions that you're doing every single day. This is not cool. That is not cool. And so forth and so forth. Um, I I don't go to a lot of gay bars. I try to, if I have any money, <laughs> I try to donate as much as possible. Uh, I do think there's probably a lot more that I can do here uh, in New York City to support the community. Um, 
I, I guess my thought process about a lot of things is, and I've said this before, is that like I try not to worry too much about myself. In uh, New York City, I want to put more of a spotlight on that, you know, queer kid in Utah who doesn't have any outlets uh, compared to me who has a plethora of them. All right. Question three, the biggest issues affecting the LGBTQ community and the surrounding folks. Um, Fuck. I'm sure a lot of people are going to bring up a lot of vital points about queer life under Trump. And good, because I want to go after a specific issue that affects a lot of queer folks that I know and that isn't always on most people's radar. Uh, And that is the need to legalize sex work. Fucking so many queer youth turn to sex work as a means to survive when visibly queer folks get turned away from socially acceptable work. And the way that it's currently criminalized and demonized, it's making it real easy for bigots to wage violence against queer folk in the sex work community and get away with it because sex workers put themselves in danger from the cops by reporting assaults and sex crimes. We need to repeal SESTA-FOSTA and stop deplatforming queer sex workers who, sue, who sell videos and do cam work from the safety of their homes because it's putting these people on the fucking street where it's dangerous as hell. Let us do this fucking work safely so that even if a sex work, even if, even if a sex work, even if sex work is a queer person's last resort type situation it was for me i'm happy that i loved it and had a mostly good time uh and i would do it again if i didn't currently live in a state where everyone owns guns and leans conservative uh just seems like a bad idea even if it's their last resort situation and not just an active choice because fucking is cool, they can still have some degrees of safety. You want to fucking combat abusive pimps and johns as well as human trafficking? Legalize sex work. Back when we have Backpage, I was my own goddamn pimp. We wouldn't have all this fucking Pride Month shit if it wasn't for trans sex workers standing up for themselves. Honor their memory. We asked people to give us a fun story or favorite story or important story or something that just stands out in their head. Or a sexy story. Yeah, we wanted a sexy one, but um, it's okay if we didn't get a sexy one. We did this week. I know. (laughs) Hit it. (laughs) All right, here go question four. This is like the sixth time that I've recorded it because I just don't like the way the story goes and I didn't prepare enough to tell it. So here's the story of how I absolutely knew I was gay. Um, so I had dated a woman for some time prior to this happening. Um, actually, I had dated two women prior to this happening. There was a gentleman that um went to my school and he used to we had um suites in this particular dorm that I stayed in my friend stayed on the other side 
of my bathroom. So it was my room, the bathroom, and then her room on the other side. And he used to come in through her room, through the bathroom, and then come into my room um, and like surprise me. <clears throat> and so the one day um, he came into my room and um, <laughs> he took this, he took his penis out and he rubbed it on my booty and I was like, oh, it's go time. So we had sex and it was fine <laughs> because there were many steps that led up to that. Um, many occasions where he came in and rubbed his penis on my booty and that was just the thing that happened, I guess. But this particular time we had sex and um I kind of smashed and passed like it was I mean I don't really I don't really treat men the same way that I treat women um and specifically this particular guy because his girlfriend lived down the hall from me so this whole story is trash <laughs> um so you know, we had sex or whatever, and, you know, he was trying to make a big deal about it. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, we don't have, we had sex and we don't have to talk about it ever again after we leave, after you leave this room. And that's what I did. He ended up leaving school and I ended up um, dating my first girlfriend. And of course, I was like, okay, I definitely am into girls <clears throat> fast forward probably six months to six or eight months later i suppose and i'm in an apartment now on campus and there's a knock at my door and it's him and he was like oh hey bugs what's up or whatever and i was like hey dude whatever and so he comes in and he's like, let me talk to you about the gospel. I went to a private Catholic institution in Pittsburgh, you know, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, so, you know, it was not odd for God to be at the topic. But that was how he came in. He came in, you know, let me talk to you about Jesus. And I was like, all right, dude. So I'm sitting there and I'm enjoying Golden Girls. <laughs> and he wants to talk about God. And in my mind, I was like, how quickly is this going to lead to him trying to do me? I want to say maybe 15 minutes. So he's in my bed or whatever. And we're, we're like, we're there, we're going. And as I mentioned before, we had already had sex. So it was not a big deal for him to be in my bed. It was not a big deal for him to not have his pants on or his drawers or what have you. So here we are in the bed. He's naked um, from the bottom down. And I was like, let's motherfucking go because dick is great. And um, I had it in my hand and I was like, I'm about to... <laughs> I'm about to give this dude the best head of his life because I'm good at it and because I like it. I put his dick in my hand and I didn't even get it 
close to my face. I want to say that it was about an arm's length away from me completely. My arm completely outstretched away from my body. Um, I got it in my hand and it was hard and I was like on it. And then I started to throw up. <laughs> I started to dry heave and I was like, oh no. <laughs> so what do I do now? And I was just so disgusted because I was like, wow, I really do not like guys. Like it happened in an instance. You know, it was like I had sex with this dude. He was the last dude that I had sex with. I ended up being with my girlfriend my first girlfriend and he came back around like hey girl and i was like can't do it bruh <laughs> can't do it and that is the story of how i knew that i was gay uh four tell us a favorite story or experience favorite story or experience uh you know i i guess a, a favorite experience would be uh, as i said i am a big part of uh professional wrestling i'm a big fan of big part <laughs> i'm modest uh a big fan of professional wrestling and i would I, you know there was a couple of years where i stopped going to wrestling shows just because it was a little bit too homophobic for my taste a little bit too racist for my taste uh, and just the experience over the past couple of years at wrestling shows has been phenomenal. Um, I have been blessed to travel the world to see wrestling. Uh, I've been blessed to be flown places to see wrestling. I have been blessed with a surprisingly diverse friend group because of wrestling. Um, just, uh, you know, just last night I went to a show where, you know, three of the my friends were bisexual so it's like uh yeah and like we were just enjoying wrestling like someone else and uh it's pretty cool like it's cool that something that was very uh, was very hard for me to let go just because i i couldn't deal with the stigma around it and um how certain members of that community the wrestling community were treating people uh, it's pretty interesting to see how far we've come. We still have a ways to go, but like, that's, you know, it's crazy. It's like night and day, you know. I'd also say like another really great experience is um, my, our second Uncanny Attraction show. And during Mania Week, which sold out, like it was a gay, queer wrestling show with predominantly uh, gay characters, um women and it sold out during a sh like a night where sh uh okada was at madison square garden we were against okada and kenny omega and we still sold out uh and that to me was a uh, great sort of indicator that people uh not only do they like our show but people are ready for something different uh and uh yeah it was pretty cool it was uh, i was extremely excited. Question four, a favorite story or experience? Uh, I've tried to pepper pretty much all of the answers for this with little fun stories because uh, a lot of 
narratives about the queer experience are like rooted in the trauma that we experience and like I have also experienced trauma in my life but I've also had like a lot of good time fun and done a lot of slutty bullshit that I really enjoyed so I'm gonna just fire off another one of those good fun times uh let's talk about how I became a sex worker so the year is 2009 uh I did not know if Grinder existed yet, but what I did know existed for anonymous hookups uh, of all types was the Craigslist casual encounter section. What a fucking wonderland. That thing got me ass in so many cities and not, like, mostly nothing bad happened. Like, sometimes they didn't look like the picture they gave or they were kind of weird but, like, I fucking got my nut. They did, too. We had a nice time. Like, it's it was one of those setups where you learn uh, where a lot of the public single-use bathrooms are that you can sneak into, drop to your knees, and just fucking fill your mouth with dick and have a great time. Uh, so I would... Uh, I was also in grad school... So I would post uh, these things like at 1 o'clock at night when I was still working on a paper, but I was all fucking Adderalled up, uh, and my dick wouldn't always work, and it was like always kind of a futile pursuit, but like it's fine because I love doing mouth stuff and I have an oral fixation, so like nobody left unhappy unless they really needed to fuck me in which case like sorry bud whoops uh but so I would post these and uh a lot of times I'd post them for uh seeking women uh but I would get messages from dudes anyways that are like are you sure you don't want to try a dick and I was like ah, I wasn't in the market for it but since you're offering it to me, I might as well have a nosh. Like, I might, come on, come on over. Uh, and one time I got a message, an email that was just like, boy, you look like your feet stink like shit. And I was just so confused. And I'm like, wait, is this dude trying to neg me about my feet? I didn't fucking post anything about my feet. So I just, like, respond with an email of, excuse me? And he's like, you look like you wear dirty-ass shoes with no socks and have smelly, disgusting feet, you little hipster twink. Uh, how much will it cost for you to come over to my apartment and walk around barefoot. I was not aware of this option in life at that point. So I like, I gave, and I was, uh, I was pretty poor and having a lot of trouble finding a job at the moment. So I was like, I'll come over to your apartment and hang out for like an hour for 200 bucks. And he bit. He went with it. And I was like, do you want me to come over now? He's like, no. I want you to come over tomorrow at this time. And I want you to go for a nice long walk in the city in your uh, in your oldest, 
pair of shoes, the ones that smell the most. I want you to take a nice walk. Don't wear any socks. Don't take them off until you get to my apartment. Went to his apartment. He turned out to be like a kind of chill dude that mostly just wanted to talk and like kind of look at my ugly ass ogre feet and sniff on them. And like, not my thing, but you're giving me money and making like I made my rent in two hours with this dude. Uh, was he kind of weird? Sure. A lot of people are kind of weird. Uh, he was mostly kind of weird because he apparently made money making uh, these videos of him doing funny faces for YouTube. I wish I had remembered the channel. He was pretty handsome. Uh, but when you're into like that kind of, when you're when you're into a specific fetish or kink, like sometimes you got to pay for it and. If you got the money, you don't fucking care, and that's cool, because I love paying my rent and supporting my smoking habit so my oral fixation doesn't, like, suck me from my apartment to the pier to keep it going. I go, I do a couple more sessions with him. Uh, it keeps, like, progressing and progressing, and I started getting, like, more, like, kind of weird, like, oh, I'm not super sure if I feel, like, super duper safe around this guy. He keeps pushing the envelope every time and is starting to offer me coke, which, like, anyone who's done sex work or, like, just hung out with anyone that's horny and has money knows exactly what's happening when they offer you coke. They're trying to fuck. I was already still pumped full of Adderall round the clock, uh, so I didn't really do any of it because I was worried my heart might explode because I was on 90 plus milligrams of Adderall a day because uh, grad school is a bad idea and so is having an Adderall prescription. And the last... The last session, I think, uh, I think it was like the seventh or eighth session. Every time that he like added some like touch and stuff or having me uh, watch whatever kind of porn that I like, it's bisexual group sex, of course, the most wholesome porn ever, because everyone is fucking everyone and having a great time. Uh, and it's usually, like, low-key shot, so everyone looks like they really want to be there. He, like, has me just jerk off to that onto my feet. And sometimes he'll tape it, sometimes he'll take pictures, sometimes he'll clean my feet off. And I get, like, a bonus for that shit, so it rules. I've, uh, after a while... I've saved up enough to pay my rent and my cigarette and drug money in Chicago for the better part of a year. And that's the time where he's like, I want you to do the jerking off thing. I want you to rub your feet on my face while you do it. I want you to come on my face and rub your feet in it. And I was just like, all right, this is definitely going to be the last one because it's going to get more intense than I'm personally ready for at this moment. But I'm going to do it. And not only did he pay my like hourly rate, 
of 200, but he also threw in like an extra 500 on top of it. It was a great farewell. I told him that I moved to another city because I knew at that point he was gonna either going to fuck me, kill me, or both, and I wasn't ready to die yet. Still not. So pride parades, what's the deal? Political, party, mixture of both. Tell us, what's your experience with pride? And we asked, and they told us. Yeah, this is a controversial one. I like it. I love the conversations going on around us. Yeah. It's healthy. Yeah. Do it. Let's hear it. Hit it. <laughs> Boom, jumping back in. Here we go. Um, pride parades are often controversial. Some people want it to be more of a time to party while others prefer to serve as a place of activism and expanding the movement. What is your preference and what would your pride celebration look like? Um, I don't know that I really have a preference. Um, I don't really have an interest in going to the more mainstream um, prides. Um, I think that the parade in itself <clears throat> serves as a way of activism in, in, in a lot of places that aren't major cities. Um, I think that um, just showing up and showing out is sometimes the most important thing. Um, so you know, in, in major cities, pride parades aren't that big of a deal. Um, in, in smaller places, um, pride parades are, are a really big deal. And I think that that harkens a lot to um, the history of what pride parades, um, how they started, you know, with Stonewall riots and such. And then continuing that heritage forward. Um, Till now, I think they have the same effect. So I think that they work both in a lot of places as activism and as um, just, you know, general times to party and be around people that look like you and feel like you and think like you um, and love like you. It's a really special thing. Um, that's really all I got. <laughs> My preference is that whomever decides to go to Pride has the time of their lives pride uh number five um i went to one pride parade and that was maybe 10 years ago i just kind of said to myself you know what i live in new york city i would you know let me go to christopher street and kind of enjoy the experience i was there for a couple hours uh, and it was fun i think pride parades should be whatever the fuck you want your pride parade to be um when I say that, though, I also mean I'm not going to limit or, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, there's some people who are like, uh, I don't want my pride parade to be sexual. There are kids there. And I mean this in the best way possible. Fuck your kids. Like, that's not what pride is about to me. You know, like pride is like, is about people feeling liberated to do whatever the fuck they want to do because for years we had to police our bodies, police our thoughts, police our feelings. Um, and I don't want to 
I don't think we should have to do that. Uh, I don't think we should be catering to any one particular group. I don't think we should be catering to any one particular demographic. I think that your pride should just be fun. If you want your pride to be sexual and risky, like, who gives a shit? If you want your pride to be comfortable and peaceful, you know, like, who gives a shit? There are places for you to go uh, during pride uh, if you want that. But I'm I'm all about the the grittier the, the <laughs> such an interesting word the naughtier the better uh, because I I you know I'm not I'm not here to police someone I'm not here to uh, to tell someone that their pride is not valid so like do whatever the fuck you want to do I really could care less uh, I think we oh we all forget that it started from a black trans woman. Uh, we all forget that, you know, it, it was a rock that was a stone uh, that was thrown at a police car. It was a riot, you know, like, so yes, it's a parade, but it's just, it was, it was, it started as a riot. And I think if we pacify it too much, I think we lose the meaning of what actual pride is. That's just my opinion. Question five. Pride parades. Uh, what would my pride celebration look like? Well, I can tell you one fucking thing. It's not a parade. I have a firm fuck parade stance. Fuck parades. I fucking hate them. Too many people. Loud as hell. You gotta stand in the sunlight. People are throwing shit at you. I don't care if it's candy or like toys. Don't fucking throw shit at me. It's all bad. Did I take a few prides in Chicago as an opportunity to get shithoused and turn every gay bar on Halstead into my own fucking free public blowjob giveaway? Hell yes. Do I also think that it's a farce and a shell of itself that's been co-opted by corporations that just want another market to court and it's full of fucking cops that don't belong at Pride? Yes, the first Pride was a riot where drag queens, sex workers, and trans folk threw fucking bricks at the cops. It wouldn't have been a damn riot in the first place if the cops didn't provoke that shit. I realize that I am just echoing Eric Shorey for the most part here. But shared opinions are a part of friendship. However, there is an event in Austin called Queer Bomb that is actually my ideal pride. Everyone gathers for like a chill hour or two of pre-party and hangout and like just communalizing at this warehouse space outside of downtown with a really cool back patio. Uh, then after everyone's like gotten social and had a drink or two or whatever uh, we do a protest march through the streets of downtown Austin through like all the places where the people that could be passing legislature against us or like supporting that shit are out drunk as hell at like nine o'clock in the evening already because they're fucking sloppy uh, and we are not we have opinions and we're going to yell at you about them. And fuck you. You can have your nice time in 20 minutes. It's our time now. God damn it. And then when we get back to the warehouse, it's a big queer dance party where every single type of queer, uh, the, all the d 
gender and sexuality spectrum is represented uh, as one writhing, dancing mass of freedom. That's my fucking shit right there. Queer bomb rules. Pride fucking sucks eggs and kicks rocks. Fuck cops. So my favorite question, because as I always like to interject and tell everybody, gender has been a huge role in my life growing up and into my adulthood. And I always like to hear what people's gender journeys have been and whether they have one or not. Or if, you know, what, you know, if you just are cisgendered, that's cool too. But I'm very interested to hear what people's relationship is with gender. If they hate it, if they love it, if they love to hate it, if they hate to love it, all those (laughs) things, you know. I hate to love that I want to put on a mustache and a soft-sided underneath my fucking pants. I hate to love that, man. But I'm gonna do it anyways. You know what? We need you to know. have an ongoing segment now called, like, Gender Jennies. Gender Jennies. Alright, hit it. <laughs> Alright, so question number six. How has gender played a role in your life with regard to and beyond sexuality? Positive or negative? Did you find yourself conforming to society's standards of gender and perception childhood experiences that stick out what made you decide to embrace your current gender um so i think that um gender plays a very large role in my life um both as a child and as an adult i think that you know when i was a child this idea that i was a tomboy was known throughout my family. My mother called me Lawrence because of course my name is Lauren. So the masculine version of that would be Lawrence. My mom called me Lawrence for quite some time when I was younger. So um, it has always been something that is noticeable and people paid attention to. I think other people paid more attention to it then and now than I do. Um, I'm not really big on the nomenclature of what my gender would be. I think that I most closely identify to the experience of a non-gender conforming femme. Um, I present uh, masculine and my personality is more feminine. The idea of gender um, really wasn't that big of a deal to me until I got to college and decided that my thesis was going to be about the experience of trans identities. This opened a brand new world to me. Things that I was not aware of or uh, behaviors and experiences that I had that I was not aware of uh, aligned with the experiences and ideas that these trans identities were having. It was remarkable. After college, I found myself in these careers that were male-dominated. I joined the military and 
my first assignment was in a combat communication squadron where we were running operations to prepare to deploy within 72 hours of the beginning of a war. Um, my job was to be able to set up communications within 72 hours of an airfield being cleared. Following that, um, on the civilian side, I became a cell tower technician. I climbed cell towers and truly that work is really just a construction site 300 feet in the air. <laughs> um, a very, very male dominated field. Um, the expectation that a woman do this job and excel, uh, I mean, there wasn't one. <laughs> so in both places, being able to acquiesce with these other male identities and having these masculine expressions, uh, really helped me excel in my career uh, where I had, you know, people working for me. Um, I very quickly was promoted both on the civilian side and on the military side. I've been very successful in the very complicated fluidity that is my gender performance experience in presentation. Um, six, I identify as male. I don't think my maleness has really played a, a, a role in my life. I'd actually say that my skin tone has played more of a role in my life being a, a queer black male, uh, just because there are... Being, like, a person of color and queer is really, really weird because uh, a lot of our f communities can be very homophobic. Um, not to generalize, of course, uh, but, you know, it's something that's really prevalent in... You know, African-American communities, something that's really prevalent in uh, Latino communities or, or Asian communities, just because it's this idea that uh, you are the man and you're a person of color. You have to exude a sort of masculinity because, you know, your um, race has been discriminated against so much. Uh, so in being openly, you know, queer or bisexual or trans, uh, you are considered sometimes less than. Uh, I think that that's had definitely a little bit more effect on me. Um, I've gotten into more disgruntled conversations with people uh, in my community, not necessarily family or anything, uh, where I, they felt it was demasculating uh, because I'm supposed to be a strong black man. And I, it took a while to convince people and show people that uh, I can still be a strong black man 
while sucking dick. <laughs> uh, I'm the strongest black man while I'm sucking dick. So, you know, it's... I don't know. I, I, I try to not let it bother me, and I just try to, like, kind of keep my head up uh, and, and, and do my thing. Uh, but I, I really don't think that being a male has affected me at all, uh, for the most part, beca- uh, because it's just, as a male, there are, you know, I, I, obviously we know that um, there is a patriarchy, and we all, we, we all know this, but I think just because people see me as a black gay male like the male is the last thing they're paying attention to it's the other two things that they're actually paying attention to it's the other two things that are the the quote-unquote conversation piece for them um so yeah people seem to not give a shit question number six what's the deal with gender uh gender's always been both a big thing for me and a nothing for me Uh, You know how I said that when I was a kid and I was discovering my sexuality, I just kind of assumed that everyone was into a little bit of everything and you just whittled it down, like going down the fucking sample line at Baskin Robbins with your little spoon and just being like, that's the one that I want the most. Uh, That's kind of the same little flippant approach that I had with my gender in that I like I didn't really understand the whole male female thing until like it finally got kind of pounded into me by society I used to dress up in my mother's clothes uh I had both male and female heroes i identified the like literal female part of myself as scarlet based on the character from the board game turned classic cult film clue who i saw myself in because i am a fancy bitch uh, and like i said before i've always been more of a neutral femme type pokemon than anything else that i can think of i guess maybe uh like Non-binary is a pretty solid way to describe it, but it's more uh, like the Native American two-spirit gender, where it's just, it's not one, not the other, it's those two and plus, like, whatever into an alternate third gender. Like, that's that seems to kind of fit the best for me, even though I'm never good at explaining heavy concepts like that, I really recommend looking it up because um, I didn't do it justice. Uh, God, a few years ago, I was working on this nightmare film that will thankfully never see the light of day with uh, a trans actress who is a fucking delight. She was in this web series about trans folks trying to date and lead normal lives called Her Story. It fucking rules. Uh, I recommend it. But, like, one of the most truly seen moments I've ever felt uh, in regards to my gender was when she revealed after, like, a week of her staying at me, uh, staying with me, because the director wouldn't shell out for a fucking uh, hotel room. Uh, he was a dingus. Uh, but she revealed that she had clocked me as a trans man for the majority of the week that we worked together. And, like, well, not the case. I felt like 
pretty scene. And I can't, it was like a, it was was kind of a big moment because I had been agonizing for years over whether off I would be happier as a trans woman and like getting that read kind of solidified that non-binary for at least the here and now was a better fit because I couldn't decide on either point within the binary because never seemed neither seemed wholly correct for myself. Now down the line, dysphoria may come calling again to convince me that that's not the case, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. For right now, things are fine and god the fucking thing is uh being a femme in public is scary. Because the best thing about having male passing privilege is not getting street harassed. I wish I could do sundresses and do my face and be a a pretty fucking debutante in the goddamn street, but you get fucking harassed. And I live in a state that accepts gay panic as a legal defense in a murder charge, and I am not going down like that. No thank you. That's not it. Um, but I do get to embrace that part of me fully as Sweetie Tough in the ring and the pack crowd for the Party World Wrestling Shows at Fourth Tap Brewery where we have our ring set up are wildly supportive of the character, uh, which is primarily my femme side and worship of John Waters and Divine turned up to fucking 11 and for right now that's good enough like i said before wrestling is real gender is fake we asked everybody to tell us about their experiences like workplace and their sexuality or if they've ever had to like hide it or if they're open they're out i have to say like i love like how fired up people are around like the question like it's it's good i've heard like i've seen a lot of people have to stay not have to but feel the need to stay in the closet in the office space so it's interesting to hear people's different stories and sometimes it's also interesting to see if people decided to work at a place based on their ability to be out versus deciding whether to be out or not based on where they work you know, if I have to hear about your kids and your grandbabies and whatever, like, I feel like I'm entitled to, like, talk about my gangbangs. What can I tell you? Well, what does your gangbang hacks have to do with your sexuality? Well, nothing. You're making your all-dude gangbangs. No, not my all-dude. Maybe, like, oh. multi-level. Well, now you just want, now you're just talking about <laughs> sex in the workplace. All right. <laughs> I just broke all the HR regulations. And you're fired. And Let's hit, hit it. Hit it? Hit, I guess maybe don't hit it, because HR will get us. <laughs> Boom. Number seven. <laughs> I just want to say very quickly. <laughs> um, Girl, that gender question, it had me out of here. It took forever to record that. Whew, bless it, Jesus. Here we go. Number six. <laughs> I'm sorry. I still think I'm on number six. This is not number six. This is number seven. Whew. Have you ever felt pressure to hide your sexuality in the workplace or beyond? Was it the environment or your preference? What are some of, what are some ways your employers have created safe spaces? What are some suggestions for keeping everyone safe and comfortable at work and in social settings? So this question, 
Um, it is, I would be remiss to leave out the fact that I am in the military. Um, and I joined the military uh, about a decade ago. So when I joined the military, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was uh, still a very real thing. Um, when I joined, I had to sign paperwork saying that I was not going to participate in whatever they deemed homosexual activity. Um, this, this sheet of paper uh, where they have you sign at the bottom saying that you're not going to participate in these activities, it gave you a bulleted list of examples of the activities to which they were speaking. In this list, uh, you had things like looking longingly into the eye of somebody of the same gender, uh, holding hands in public with somebody of the same gender, very simple things <laughs> that people probably do not pay attention to uh, were on this list. And essentially, the, the wording on this piece of paper leads you to the understanding that if you are in public or even in private, if somebody sees you and believes that you are participating in homosexual activity in any degree, you are breaking rules or laws of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And that is the law book for military people. At that time, you could be discharged for being gay. And that, that was part of the harm. I mean, <laughs> clearly, very clearly, the harm of Don't Ask, Don't Tell is that these, that, I mean, you're being discriminated against for being gay. But a lot of the harm in that was essentially the environment that this created was that if anybody believed or perceived or assumed that you were gay and told somebody that was it. <laughs> that was the end of your military career. So it was hard. It's very hard. It's very hard to know that you have this sexuality that you didn't ask for. <laughs> you know, that you didn't create. And just by being you, this sheet of paper told you that you couldn't have this job. And so there was an immense pressure to stay in the closet. So much so that I think I've only come out to two people in my almost 10 years. These are people, you know, <laughs> I go on active duty with. These are people 
I'm expected to be in the sand with. These are the people that I'm expecting to watch my six. And I'm not allowed to be my whole full self with these people because I might lose my job or in some cases be assaulted to correct the problem. So having these tools and then moving into the civilian world, it made it very easy for me to just continue what I was doing. Um, I'm a very private person. I'm introverted. I'm very shy. So I'm not a person who is leading with all of my personal information anyway. Um, I spend a lot of time minding my business and encouraging others to do the same. Um, and truly, that is how I've created my own safe space, not only for myself, but of course, for any troops that are working underneath me and any crews that I've led um, on the cell tower side. I make it my business for the people that are working for me that they feel like they can always be their authentic selves. And of course, there's a level of professionalism that is associated with that because we are in a work environment. But I encourage my troops and any of my crew members to be their authentic selves. I truly believe that there's no other way to be. To ensure these safe spaces, I've always told my troops and my crew members three things. <laughs> Minding your business is free. Leaving me the fuck alone, free. And shutting the fuck up, also free. Uh, number seven. No, I've never really felt pressured to hide my sexuality in the workplace. Uh, I was, I don't know if I came out when I, no, I was pretty open with my sexuality when I got my first job. I got my first job at 17. It was at Sonic, America's Drive-In. Uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, off a military highway, and uh, yeah, it wasn't really, people knew, like, it, I didn't really do much to to hide it, I ended up dating an employee, <laughs> I hired the employee and then dated him, It was I was a bad 18-year-old, um, but <laughs> he, was, he was really cute, though, uh, now he's on the run, but um, I know how to pick him, but you know, I did have a, certain situations uh, at that job where I was clearly... Uh, I, I got promoted to a manager like mm, uh, four months after I got the job because uh, they were just like, you're really, I don't know, good. And uh, it was clear. And I, and I did. I had the best numbers out of anyone else, any other manager. Uh, I the, the best like shifts run out of any other manager. I was given a lot of responsibilities, uh, but it was very hard to get another promotion. And they had hinted, one of the owners had hinted uh, that it was because of my sexuality. So that was really, really frustrating because I was just kind of like, wait, I'm not given this role because you think it could be uncomfortable to have a, at that time I was 19, I want to say, a 19-year-old gay, you know, uh, what was I, a second assistant? First assistant. 
uh, first assistant manager. And so it was it was just very it was a lot. Um, it was a lot of stuff I was dealing with. And it, it was kind of like crazy, especially because I was young and it was my first job and I just didn't really know how to deal with that. But since then, I, I've it's easier said than done. But I've uh, been you know, you, you, you come up with defense mechanisms and some people <laughs> will tell you that I might not be the nicest uh, at my workplaces. I'm a very kind of like, let's get this shit done type of person. And I think a lot of it is my aggressiveness. It comes from that experience of someone telling me because of my sexuality, I can't get it. So I made sure I amped everything else up as much as possible. Uh, and I made sure that I worked harder than everyone else to so hey it doesn't matter if you have an issue that I suck dick I am the best person for this job and you are going to give me this position and you are going to pay me this amount and that you know that is what it is uh I I think that you know that can't be the case for everyone but I think taking a you know, you know, some people are a little bit more timid. Some people are a little bit more shy. But I think being very upfront with people has benefited me quite a bit in my job experience. Have I made people mad along the way? Sure, I have. But, you know, for me to be in a safe working place is really important. So I need to let you know what will and will not fly immediately. Uh, I'm not a child. Uh, I'm an adult. You're going to treat me as an adult. And I don't stand for bullshit. Um, you know, I someone else can, but I'm not. Um, you know, and I think that being really, really strong, and I know it takes people a, a long time to really figure out who they are, but uh, letting people know that you're not here for bullshit, you're here to work, you're here to do your job, uh, and anything regarding your sexuality, regarding your um, gender identity, any of that stuff is has nothing to do with your work performance. My work performance is solid. Your work performance is solid. And that's all that matters. Question number seven, queer sexuality in the workplace. I've always been super lucky to have mostly worked in places where I've had a lot of queer coworkers and queer folks in management positions. So that is pretty hype. Uh, I worked in the service industry for a while, so I'm not gonna like sit here and lie and say that I didn't run into some bigoted bullshit in the back of the house. Uh, but you know what? I read those fuckers for filth in front of the whole goddamn kitchen and showed them I wasn't gonna stand for that knowing that I had, like, a backup queers if shit was going to pop off, and I kept my respect like that. There's, uh, there's, a cer there's certain work atmospheres that, like, if you talk shit and do your job well, it just makes people be like, fuck, I kind of I kinda have to accept this person for who they are because I fucking, I fucking need them to do the job, and they do the job, and I'm, that's it. I think that, like... A big thing for the whole issue of how to create more safe spaces at work uh, is not by being like, well, let's set up a safe space for everyone to talk. It's like, yo, let's just hire a fully diverse ass staff, like queer people, straight people, uh, people of all like ethnic and cultural backgrounds, just 
fucking all the genders just hire a lot of different types of people and kick out the ones that don't know how to be a team player and let them go fucking kick rocks somewhere uh and it just the process moves along of everyone being like well we gotta we gotta fucking do the thing and make this money so we don't die or starve so cool whatever you all have the same goals let's be friends at least that's my super optimistic and probably still a little naive take that's fine being naive isn't the worst fucking thing in the world uh when it comes to hoping that change can actually happen and everyone can fucking get along uh i'm not gonna lie being queer in the workplace especially in the service industry actually worked in my favor a few times not really for like promotions or anything mostly for just being a cool slut uh being able to flirt my way out of trouble and into my coworkers' pants because i worked oh god i worked in this super high class uh gold coast place in chicago where all the servers were tens and like fucking uh billy zane with his perfect ass smile ate there a bunch uh for lunch whenever he was shooting some bullshit in town man that dude and common both uh i waited on both of them and they got smiles like a warm ray of light it felt like waking up from a nap in a sunbeam looking at their mouth beautiful wholesome men with beautiful families love them uh but all these servers were gorgeous and a lot of them were queer and one of them this dude always made me think of freak ocean mostly because it was a summer channel orange came out that i started working there and i would fucking pine after him and his beautiful ass self while i'm singing uh forrest gump like the last actual song on the album about another one about like being in love with a dude who's like kind of a dumb jock and he was kind of a beautiful dumb jock he was clever as hell but like he had an archetype that he was just a little bit smarter than but i would be saying i would be standing there singing it to myself giving all the silverware a little polish rag hand jobs hoping he'd notice uh and when he heard it was my last day and I was quitting to move to Austin, he comes up to me after the pre-shift and tells me, hey, if you want it, come and meet me in the bathroom upstairs at X time. Uh, and I was floored because I had like tried to flirt with him, but I was so nervous because he was so fucking handsome uh, that I just like couldn't really muster it up. And here he is. I'm like, this this dude's fucking with me. He's seeing how I look at him. He's doing a little power move. He's going to p- play some sort of last day prank. Uh, but 20 minutes out from the time he said, he whispers in my ear uh, while he's passing at the little service station, don't forget, 20 minutes, baby. And so, yeah, I fucking meet him in that bathroom because I was straight up in love with this boy from afar. He gave me some of the best head I have ever gotten in my life. But like I said, he was so hot and I was crushing so hard and I drank 
too much coffee because that is a thing. So all of that combined, I was too nervous to get hard. And yet, dude still nearly got me off with that fucking perfect angel mouth. I hope all the best for him still. And the last, I guess second to last thing, one of the last things that we ask everybody is what are some organizations that you feel are helping to move the needle forward in our community and also things that you wanted people to be aware of, whether donation wise or something that you could support if you're an ally or passionate about. Yeah. Passion, you know, passion projects, passion, people, passion, fruit. Passion Fruits? Is that our new queer... Oh my god, is that our new queer underwear line? Passion Fruits with a Z? Ooh, I like it. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Don't steal that trademark, somebody. I'm done with you. Or I'm done with me. Alright, hit it. Hit it? No, wait, hold on. Wait, what else? What? Um, yeah. So, boom. Question number eight. What are some organizations you've worked with or want to promote that help the LGBTQ plus community um so i just want to big up some organizations that i'm really into uh and that i support the first organization is the modern military association of america um outserve sldn which was an organization specifically for um advocacy and support of LGBTQ service members, um, members that are active and veterans. Um, They merged with um, the American Military Partner Association and created this big organization. Um, And together they are for military spouses, and family members, in addition to the LGBTQ uh, community that they were already serving as OutServe. So, you know, it's just a big uh, organization that, you know, really cares about military members and all of the different shapes and sizes that they come in. So I think that they do really good work. Um, the other organization that I'd really like to big up is Lesbians Who Tech. And if you are in any STEM career, you know that it is far and few, (laughs) um, to see us. So if you are, um, a lesbian who techs. This organization is for you. Um, They have really big conferences, both in New York and in California. So keep an eyeball out for that. Um, Representation is important. And it's great to network with people who are on your same wavelength. So I can't leave here without talking about this. And um, this is something that's really important to me. Um, um, This year, so far, 10 black trans women have been killed. This is a population of people whose average life expectancy is 31. 
this is a population of people where 34% of them live in extreme poverty. So I want to take a moment to big up the Trans Women of Color Collective's Black Trans Health Initiative. And very simply, um, their mission is to uplift the narratives, leadership, and lived experiences of trans and gender nonconforming people of color while building toward the collective liberation of all oppressed people. Full stop. Period. What more information do you need? Support these organizations. Be good people. Eight. Uh, I, I, again, um, I am remiss that I haven't worked with uh, a ton of LGBTQ plus organizations. What I've tried to do over the past couple of years is go to, um, I've been to more queer spaces actually in the past couple of years, and I probably have my entire time in New York City, and I've been here for 12 years. Uh, I, you know, of someone saying, oh, we're having this thing, and, you know, proceeds go here, or proceeds go here, I, I try to go out, you know, I, I try to go out and support as much as possible, uh, I try to support wrestlers that actually do, like, quote-unquote pride uh, t-shirts and runs and drives and charities, but they do it, like, year-round, because there are actually some people who do that, which is, like, what you should be doing. Uh, I try to support them as much as possible. Um, yeah, you know, again, like, I, I don't... Uh, I'm an old man, and I don't <laughs> go out much... Uh, but when I do, you know, again, I just try to go to, like, companies I know that are supporting LGBTQ+. Even something, again, I hate to constantly reference wrestling, but, like, going to shows that have primarily queer wrestlers, like, and I make a, a big point of identifying with the, the promoter or whoever, like, like that's what I want to see. I will I will give you my money uh, because that is what I want to see. I want to see more queer people everywhere in every single form of media, uh, in every single way of representation. Uh, so I try to support and give my money to things like that. Again, what little money I have. Question eight. Organizations. Um... I am uh, a little bit of like a loner introvert type, so I am not super informed on a lot of uh, organizations, but uh, I have helped fundraise for the Montrose Center in Houston. It's a super dope pillar of the LGBTQ plus community in Texas, and I love them, and you should love them with your money if you want to. Also, like I was talking about earlier, Queer Bomb is the Austin uh, counter pride that uh, loves the Stonewall Riot. And it's a mostly crowdfunded effort that also maintains a page year-round that posts a lot of great information about organizations and queer history. So you should follow them and throw money at the folks they promote and them when they start fundraising every, like, spring. So, if you enjoyed any of the interviews you heard today, be sure to follow all of our guests at the following. Hit it! <laughs> so.
So boom, question number nine. Promote yourself. Tell us where to find you online. So I'm just a regular degular girl in these Charlotte streets. Um, I don't really have an online presence, but you can usually find me cussing people out on any of Felicia's pages because that's my dog in real life. Um, I have a Twitter account that I occasionally blow the dust off of. Um, it's private, but shoot your shot. <laughs> you can find me there at Miss LDT. That's at MSLDT or at Mike Sierra Lima Delta Tango. Um, offline, you can find me in the Charlotte streets this summer. I will be at Black Gay Pride. Um, and you can also find me at Sweet Heat May 13th through the 18th in Miami next year. Boom. And shout out to DJ Dimples. Yeah, if you like my uh, blabbering, you can follow me on Twitter. It's a lot more blabbering, except it's a little bit more cohesive because I have seconds that, you know, I can think about it. Uh, it's at Dnellicious on Twitter. I'm on Twitter quite a bit. Um, I also run, uh, I do the Capital Wrestling Podcast, uh, but that's a little bit on a hiatus. I do the social media for Uncanny Attractions, which is at Uncanny Attracts. And I am one of the main hosts on a podcast called The Pro Wrestling Mothership. Uh, it's a Pro Wrestling Mothership Network. I am on the main uh, part of that with Kevin Wilder. Uh, and I do a side podcast on it uh, called The Queer Nerd Podcast. Uh, the Queer Nerd Podcast, I primarily talk to wrestlers. And it's um, the rule of that is that you have to be uh, either a person of color uh, someone who identifies as, uh, you know, a woman, non-binary, um, and, or queer, you know, that's, that you can't be a cis straight white guy, I don't want any cis straight white guys on my podcast, I, I have a lot of cis straight white friends, so, like, don't take it personally, uh, it's just that I feel that, most podcasts are the same with cis straight white guys, and uh, I think if you want to get their opinion, do you have a million other ways to get their opinion? If you want something a little new and something a little interesting, you can listen to my podcast. Uh, thank you so so much, uh, A Love and uh, Felicia. I uh, really appreciated uh, being asked to to do this. Uh, I think your podcast is great. Uh, I've been in your podcast before. Uh, it was it was a very very fun experience, and uh, I think you guys are doing great things for the community, and I think that you guys are doing great things for awareness and allowing people to be comfortable with their sexuality, which I think is uh, super super important. Uh, comfortable with gender expression, comfortable with just life, uh, and you know I always say like especially when it comes to sex, like it's very weird that. People can have very, very detailed conversations about systematic racism, but heaven forbid you talk about boobies. It's <laughs> very backwards to me. Uh, so yeah, be a little bit more open, be a little bit more sexual, and if you don't want to be sexual, that's cool too. Uh, but uh, 
let's uh, all strive together to be the best version of ourselves because uh, that's pretty fucking awesome to be the best version of yourselves. Um, thank you guys very, very much for your time and for listening to me blab on, and uh, I appreciate it. Question number nine, promote yourself. Yes, it's time to push my personal brand. I love it. Uh, if you liked anything that came out of my mouth during this podcast, you will enjoy my continued brand of emotionally supportive sex friend that loves wrestling, anime, and friendship on multiple platforms across the internet. Plus, you got to see pictures of my cat. And she's fucking cute. She looks like she's from Sailor Moon. Uh, so you can follow me on Facebook at uh, the username A Wild Serwa Appears. That's S E R W A. That's the way you spell my last name. You can follow me on Instagram at A Wild Serwa Appears. Uh, once again, pictures of my cat. Uh, probably thirst shots uh, at some point if I feel like taking them. Mostly pictures of my cat and pictures of my cute boyfriend who is my tag team partner in Party World Wrestling. But we'll get to that in a second. My Twitter is pork underscore lion. Gotcha. Threw you for a loop there. Yep, pork underscore lion. It is where... I go to do most of my shit posting uh, and talk about probably Zack Sabre Jr.'s dick is like the main topic of my Twitter a lot. So hell yeah, please wear those white shorts, Zacky. I love you. Uh, let's talk about Party World Wrestling's internet presence. If you want to watch me and my friends wrestle, it's a cool uh, DIY organization that is wrestling in the vein of Chikara or Hood Slam or any number of like high concept, high fantasy wrestling that is fun and has weird storylines and like the action is good and fun and everything is in service of the story because storylines that make sense and have payoffs fucking rule and it's one of my favorite parts about wrestling and I love getting to do it and tell stories uh, as Sweetie Tough, the genderqueer forest nymph that hates bullies and loves my partner, Crybaby, as part of the tag team called the Platinum Partners. You can find all that shit and so much more. A puppet that wrestles aliens, uh, a corporate hype man, a fucking pasta, a fucking pizza chef who made a boy out of pasta and has a lot of toppings that came to life. Oh boy, there's so much good shit. You should go to uh, Twitter and follow them at Party Death Cult, spelled K-V-L-T. Uh, you can watch our shows live four times a year at twitch.tv slash partyworldwrestling. That's wrestling spelled R-A-S-S-L-I-N. You can find us under the same name and Facebook. You can find our entire past five years of show going from uh, the start as a backyard 
wrestling fed to having a real ring inside of a real brewery that real people love to come out to. Uh, and you can find all those shows at youtube.com slash user slash hex crusher. Uh, and you can find all these links uh, as the pinned tweet as the pin tweet on the Twitter. You can also find the Instagram at instagram.com slash partyworldwrestling. Uh, it's great. And also, you can help us out because we are a fully crowdfunded organization uh, that puts on a free wrestling party four times a year with a huge art installation and, like, just so many happy people that pack that brewery to the brim, and it rules, and I love it, and I want you to love it, and I also want you to give us money to crowdfund our shows because you will get extremely dope t-shirts and merch and perks out of it if you donate to the Indiegogos. And that's it. I'm done plugging my shit. I love you. Thank you. Holy shit. Holy shit, boss. That was quite... I'll say this. I'm not going to comment on anybody's stories. Those are your stories. They were interesting. They were entertaining. Some were sad. Some were happy. Some pieces, etc. I was... A lot were very relatable. But one thing I think we can all agree on is that Lauren's voice is so fucking sexy. <laughs> no doubt. No like, doubt. holler. No doubt. Seriously. She's got that little southern twang. I can't. <laughs> Sweating. Anyways, thanks to everybody for being a part of this. I am so honored to have three, another three beautiful, amazing queer voices come and represent themselves on our show. Hell yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And be able to talk about their experiences in the community and other things and people and shout other things out. And it's just, it's just, I'm feeling the love and I'm so happy to be a part of this. Thanks to everybody that is either still working on it, has reached out and wants to. We're going to continue Keep this. Them in. Keep yeah, we're going to continue in. this as at least like a monthly segment, even until we get like everybody's voices that want to be heard heard. Hell yeah! So send them in. We love you all. Thanks to our three special guests today: Lauren, Darnell, Mitchell, and Adam. I can't say their last names, so don't even try it. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed these stories. Be sure to follow everybody. We love you at the Screw Podcast, Twitter, Insta, Instagram, no, and then Screw Pod. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to You'll follow see. us. Figure Whatever. We're out there. My many vids is Felicia Raw. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Hit it. Hit it. <laughs>